Welcome to the Gabelli Podcast. With me today is Paul Finelli. Paul, do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here. So my name is Paul Finelli. I'm a TMT analyst here at Gabelli. I've been with the firm since 2018, and I'm excited to talk about some opportunities in the streaming space with you today. Streaming video has been a dynamic industry for the last few years. Most people are familiar with streaming as a majority of Americans are customers, but can you give us a high-level overview of the industry? Sure, Tommy. Video streaming is a big market, estimated to be more than $400 billion globally in 2021 and growing rapidly. It is expected to more than double within the decade. When most people think of streaming, the first names that come to mind are probably Netflix, Disney+, Amazon Prime Video. But the market is much broader than that and covers a spectrum of business models. To start, you have the virtual MVPDs, which are most like the traditional cable package and offer linear broadcast and cable networks. Subscribers to these services often come for the sports content that is available as long-term contracts for sport, sports rights haven't quite caught up to the streaming world yet. As a result, these are often the best streaming services to find major local market sporting events. These services include Hulu Live TV, YouTube TV, and Fubo TV. Hulu and YouTube are the largest with about 4 million subscribers each. Although we view these product, products more as a transitional step from traditional linear TV to streaming and are generally lower growth and lower quality businesses due to high programming costs. From there, you go to free ad-supported TV or FAST. This includes services like Viacom, CBS's Pluto TV. As the name implies, these services provide free ad-supported linear channels. The attraction to this is the always-on pipeline of content and the ability to flip through channels like traditional TV without having to subscribe to yet another streaming service. And then there's AVOD, <clears throat> which is ad-supported video on demand. This includes services like YouTube, where you get the ads from FAST, but the video is on demand. And finally, we come to SVOD, or Subscription Video On Demand, which is what comes to mind when most people think of streaming, like, like Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Customers pay a monthly fee of around $5 to $6 a month, going up to almost $20 a month, depending on the service and tier. There's some blurring of the lines between AVOD and SVOD, as there are services out there like Hulu and Paramount Plus that offer packages that have some advertisements and a lower monthly subscription. I've heard about premium video on demand over the last year or so. Where does that fit in? So premium video on demand, or, or PVOD, refers to video that subscribers of a service can pay an additional fee to access sooner than they would otherwise. Some streaming services that also produce films for theatrical exhibition have tried this out during the pandemic as movie theaters were closed, most notably Disney with the debut of Mulan in 2020. In addition to being a Disney Plus subscriber, you could pay $30 to watch the film the same day it was released in theaters. While Mulan was considered a success, most of these COVID-era experiments in PVOD have been considered a failure, and we expect to see less of them uh, as the pandemic wanes. We do think you'll see more films that traditionally were released in theaters sent straight to streaming. This won't be big tentpole films like Spider-Man, but Disney just announced that its new Pixar animated film, Turning Red, is skipping theaters and going directly to Disney Plus in March. Thanks, that's helpful. So I want to focus on SVOD for a moment as it seems to be the most popular, it seems like the market is fairly well penetrated in the U.S. Where do you see the most opportunity for growth in streaming services? Great question. By far, the biggest growth markets are outside of the U.S. The U.S. is much more mature, and you are right, highly penetrated. Penetration in the U.S. is estimated around 75 to 80% where it has plateaued, so international is a big focus. But the key here is finding the right mix of content and pricing to compete in these markets. Many streamers have been pushing hard to develop local language content, 
Netflix has been a leader here and has scoured the globe to find content to serve these markets. The most famous recent example of this was Squid Game, which premiered in September. This was a script written in South Korea that went unproduced for more than a decade. Netflix discovered it and produced the series in South Korea in the Korean language. It went on to be an international phenomenon and by November was Netflix's most watched series ever. It is estimated that Squid Game cost just over $21 million to make, but created almost a billion dollars in value for Netflix. The success of this series underscores the importance of looking beyond Hollywood for content and that not every huge hit needs a big budget to go with it. On the pricing side, these international markets vary and it's hard to take a one-size-fits-all approach. For example, India is a huge market with its population approaching a billion and a half people. Many of these people consume content on a mobile-first basis. As a result, Netflix has a mobile-only plan in India that it doesn't offer in other markets, like the U.S., where most streaming time comes on larger screens like televisions. However, this also means that the average revenue per user in India is much lower, <coughs> as the monthly fee is a lot cheaper. The mobile-only plan costs about $2, and the most premium plan in India costs about $9 a month after recent price cuts. Which leads to the flip side of this international growth story, which is increasing competition. Disney with Disney Plus Hotstar and Amazon with Amazon Prime Video have been aggressive in expanding in these large markets despite the mo much lower ARPUs compared to countries in the West. Time will tell how profitable these more nascent markets can be over time. You mentioned sports at the beginning of our conversation. How does that fit into the overall picture? It is still early innings, so to speak, but the long-term and somewhat fragmented nature of sports rights has slowed the transition to streaming. But you are starting to see it. Disney has been rolling out ESPN+, Plus, which is gradually gaining more content. Amazon Prime Video has had some Thursday night football for a few seasons and will be the exclusive home of Thursday night football next season. But acquiring sports rights is very expensive. Amazon will be shelling out over a billion dollars a season for those rights. Comcast has the Olympics and the Super Bowl on Peacock. There's speculation out this week that Apple may bid on Major League Baseball rights. And then you have Viacom, CBS, and the soon-to-be combination of Warner Media and Discovery that have sports rights that will be incorporated into streaming. So far, Netflix has avoided the, the bidding wars for sports rights, but they have been doing some sports-related content with docu-series like Drive to Survive about Formula One. They announced yesterday that they will be doing a similar series around the PGA Tour. There's been a lot in the media the last few weeks about the Warner Media Discovery transaction. What do you think the company plans to do with the HBO Max and Discovery Plus streaming services? This is a very interesting transaction that we've been following closely, and Discovery is a stock that we like in the streaming space. I think that prior to the announcement of the deal, it was clear that Discovery did not have enough must-watch content to compete on its own, but had a broad portfolio of content from its legacy linear television networks. On the other hand, you have Warner Media, which was never a great fit with AT&T after the Time Warner transaction back in 2018. Building a competitive streaming service requires significant investment and during years of losses to get the scale required. This is at odds with what investors have come to expect from AT&T with its more consistent earnings and dividend. Warner Media has a strong portfolio of content assets including HBO, CNN, the Warner Brothers Film, TV, and Animation Studios. Warner Media brings that must-watch content and high-quality production to this transaction like Game of Thrones and the DC Universe films. With that background, the transaction makes a lot of sense. So from a streaming perspective, you're bringing together two complementary services, Discovery Plus with more than 20 million subscribers, which focuses on lifestyle, unscripted, reality TV, and HBO Max with more than 70 million subscribers that has premium content from one of the top studios in Hollywood. 
Well, Warner Media and Discovery have yet to announce their specific plans for HBO Max and Discovery Plus after the deal closes. It is clear that they will combine the two services to form one general entertainment service. We think that they are likely to go with the HBO Max brand and will have both ad-supported and ad-free subscription tiers as both HBO Max and Discovery Plus have now. They have said that they'll spend more than $20 billion a year on content, and we think David Zaslav will be aggressive in building out their pipeline. This seems like a logical deal, but it does seem a bit complicated to pull off. What are the challenges a combined company will face in bringing it all together? As it relates to the merger itself, it will all come down to execution. There are a lot of moving pieces that have to fit together. They need to integrate the back-end technology of the platforms to combine them. They need to manage the shrinking linear television subscriber base and convert those subscribers into streaming subscribers. They need to invest in marketing and sell consumers on the combined product and they need to strategically build their content pipeline for a global audience and not just build the next big hit like Game of Thrones. They need to find things like the next Squid Game. Beyond that, the streaming wars continue to heat up. Competition is not standing still. Disney spends more than $30 billion a year on content. Netflix is spending almost $20 billion and growing. On the last Netflix earnings call, co-CEO Reed Hastings said that two to three times their current spend may be thinking too small over time. And then you have Amazon Prime Video and Apple TV Plus, services that spend less on content than their peers but are increasing their focus and also don't have the same expectations for profitability from their streaming services. So if I can interrupt you for a second, given those dynamics, what happens to the competitive landscape over time? Those are some large content expenditures. Great question. I was just about to get to that. As we have discussed, there's a lot of money coming into content. Not all this will be spent directly on producing new content, though. It also includes catalogs of IP, and I think streamers will look to bolster their content offerings through acquisitions, and you'll see a level of consolidation. Amazon is buying MGM for nearly $9 billion to get access to their deep library of IP, which includes James Bond. You look at what former Disney executives Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, backed by Blackstone, are doing with Candle Media. They just spent $3 billion on Moonbug, a kid's content company, and $900 million for Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. Also, They just invested $60 million for a 10% stake in Will Smith's Westbrook Incorporated. Clearly, they are up to something, and I would expect them to eventually sell to a larger streaming service. We think that there is more of this to come. Take something like Lionsgate. They have a great catalog of IP, which includes films like The Hunger Games and a film and TV studio. And they also have the Stars streaming service. Lionsgate has announced that it is exploring strategic options for Stars. We believe that this could be part of a larger plan to sell Lionsgate. There could even be consolidation among some of the larger streamers. The typical streaming household in the U.S. subscribes to three to four streaming services. The biggest streaming services in the U.S. are Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, and Hulu. This leaves a second tier of players trying to break into this group. We think that there could be some partnerships or combinations that emerge. Viacom CBS could be a buyer of assets like Lionsgate, or it may look to combine with a peer to accelerate its content pipeline. Apple could also be a buyer of assets as it looks to build scale for Apple TV+. It is a very dynamic industry, and we think there will be many opportunities in the coming years. All right. Thanks for coming on, Paul, and I hope we can have you on again soon. Thanks for having me. Following today's discussion, I must read the following disclosures. Equity investments are affected by market conditions. The intrinsic value of the stocks in which our portfolios invest may never be recognized by the broader market. The opinions expressed are current as of January 26, 2022, but are subject to change. The information provided in this podcast does not provide information 
reasonably sufficient upon which to base an investment decision and should not be considered a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security. Portfolio holdings are subject to change. The performance of any single portfolio holding is no indication of the performance of other portfolio holdings of any strategy or fund. Comments made on any individual company or stock is not an indication that it is currently held in a portfolio, nor is it an indication that it will ever be held in a portfolio. Several companies were mentioned in this episode. We own less than 1% of the following. Amazon.com, ticker AMZN, Apple Inc., ticker AAPL, AT&T, ticker T, Comcast Corporation, ticker CMCSA, Discovery, ticker D-I-S-C-A, Fubo TV, ticker F-U-B-O, Lionsgate Entertainment, class A, ticker L-G-F, apostrophe A, Netflix, ticker N-F-L-X, The Walt Disney Company, ticker D-I-S, and we also mentioned Viacom CBS, ticker V-I-A-C, which we own 9.08% of.